0: Full disclosure, this is Robin Farzad. Look, social media, what the heck is it good for? You can tweet till you turn blue in the face. You could post ridiculous updates on Facebook or learn about the insensitivities of your high school classmates. Some people are on Friendster still, some people prefer the LinkedIn's. I mean, what does it do in the end? Well, in the case of my two guests today, we have people who not only changed their own lives and changed other people's lives by leveraging social media, but really carved a name for themselves and put up a shingle as their own businesswomen in their own right. And so this is like an old episode of Lost in that my two guests in studio with me here today in Richmond really don't realize why they're here. So let me introduce them at the outset and let's let's see if they can uh, come to some sort of uh, common ground or agreement in a Venn diagram. Kia Wingfield is the founder and owner of Candy Valley Cake Company. She's also a professor of pastry arts at J. Sargent Reynolds College. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And Kira Siddell, social media strategist. It's a constantly evolving title. She admits you can call her guru, visionary, spiritual leader. Just don't call her Al. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Kia, tell us why you are here in Richmond. Let's, for starters, uh, you, were, you were born in India raised born. in India, and mm-hmm. you moved to Richmond when?
1: In, uh, nine years ago, 2005.
0: Uh, having never used an oven.
1: Never. I Because in India, we don't bake at all so there are no ovens in normal household application cooking applications so i had never baked and once i moved here my fiance at the time now husband um had an oven in the apartment and it just i fell in love with it now don't
0: don't undersell yourself you are the cake pop queen of virginia and the eastern seaboard (laughs) i've seen your cake pops like Redskins, soft scrub bubbles. We're going to put them mm-hmm. up on the website. They're really elaborate, and it kind of Thank you. defies credulity for someone who didn't even have an oven, uh, was right. not a cooking person. You were, uh, you were a call center employee for Circuit City.
1: I was. That's and that's where I met my husband. Um, but I, I this is going to sound cheesy, but I think I was born to bake. Um, it's it's my thing, and I'm it's my calling, and I found it. That's, that's the only way I can explain it.
0: And I found you because you were resourceful on social media and mm-hmm. in social networking, and you met one of the PR gurus in this town. And without spending a penny on marketing, as you admitted to me, yep. uh, you crossed paths with me and were profiled later on CBS 6, and you've gotten a tremendous amount of ink in the area. It's, it's just before Christmas. You are backlogged with orders. You could barely join us today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is why I wanted you to meet Kira. Who is a social media strategist? Who also had a a come to Jesus moment with social media? If you can right. explain to us, Kira, what the heck you were doing? What was it? Five six years ago?
2: Um, it was in two thousand eight. I was I had met a few people in Arusha, Tanzania, and we figured out over Thanksgiving that we really wanted to have a a celebration of gratitude. So um, we managed. I worked with this group of people, and we raised ten thousand dollars in forty eight hours over Twitter. Uh, by getting people to tweet what they were grateful for. So it was very simple. What are you happy for for Thanksgiving? Give $10 to buy a center block. And we got enough people to get together to build a school in Arusha, Tanzania. Um, It was a big eye-opener about how the power of social media and using it to connect with other people around the world and to actually raise money.
0: Now, you just did it as a whimsical moment, right? You didn't realize going in that something like this could really catch fire.
2: No, um, I, I had no idea it was going to catch fire. I had actually tried fundraising for the school a few other ways that were, pre- much more traditional and,
0: what costs email solicitations, letters, snail mail.
2: Oh, uh, maybe then not that traditional. We tried to do a fundraising with a uh, a run, to get people to kind of run for solar power. We did. We tried to think outside the box, but this we kind of this one woman kind of. This was her vision of how we would get people to show their gratitude. And we all kind of got together and used our skills to make it happen.
0: Now, $10,000 in Tanzania, is it? Yes. Explain to us the impact or what that buys you on a, on a real world level or where you realized you could move the needle.
2: Um, well, the fir- I mean, I can do it from both the impact of the school and the impact on social media. Please, yeah. Um, the first year, we got everyone to, again, buy a cinder block. And when you go to the school— Um, you go walk into this one room that was built and we call it the room built by gratitude and every big handle of everyone who was huge on the internet in 2008, your founders of Foursquare, your founders of, um, Twitter, all their handles are on there because they gave $10 and the first year we did it, we were the number one trending thing on Twitter for 48 hours, which when you look at real numbers, it was only 4,100 tweets, that was nothing. The next year, we we did it again in two thousand and nine, and we tried to kind of replicate that same success, and we had, I believe, twenty five thousand tweets, and we never broke the we never broke into trending. Hmm. So it's really interesting to try the same kind of application to a year apart and see how much the platform had changed. Um, we were still really successful, raised a, a, a ton of money, and were able to keep building the school. But it was just, it was a fabulous learning moment to see that you can't really do the exact same technique um, year after year.
0: And now major companies are trying to uh, race backward and hire social media gurus with all sorts of newfangled titles to be able to foment that kind of uh, interest and, um, um, you know, ownership of people helping you market effectively out there. But it's not something you could just go out there and buy.
2: No, it's, it's, um, it's something that you have to kind of learn your way through and, and actually, fail a few times to kind of really learn what's going to work and what's not. Um, but it's a it, every platform that falls under the social media kind of umbrella can be used to move your brain forward.
0: Are we connected on MySpace, by the way?
2: <laughs> we may have been at one time. Do you time. still
0: like the Friendster or do you have an AIM status? Or I don't know. Anyway, anyway, we'll save that for after the show. Uh, Kia. Yeah. Uh, did you have a Facebook? account. No, like going back nine years, I mean, it was really in its infancy. When did you open that up here? I mean, I know you you went and apprenticed at a bakery and learned cake pops and watched a lot of TV and read a lot of books and experimented and failed yourself. But when did you realize that instead of going out and maybe taking out uh, debt to hire a marketing firm or, or a professional that you could do this on your own?
1: I. That's a good question. We still do it on our own. Um, the best, um, The best thing I can say is we... We're very honest about the way we run the business, so if we're making cake, we talk about that. If we're uh, if we're messing up, we talk about that. You know, there is there is no uh, like like you show, it's full disclosure, um, and we connect with our clients because of that kind of open policy. Um, as far as hiring somebody to do this, that would that's the dream. I mean, that would be awesome.
0: So now that you have your hands full, I mean, you and your husband, uh, comedian Dave Wingfield who <laughs> was uh, the person who, who met you yes. in India, who worked for Circuit City. And Circuit City was based here in Richmond, so it brought you to Richmond. Correct. Um, is he your your default social media manager? Or is he someone who had to kind of learn it, uh, traveling, traveling, going on the road and doing stand-up?
1: Yeah, he's, he stays busy. So, uh, But whenever I po- take a picture of something, I send it to him saying, can you caption this for me? So he comes up with a lot of the great, great, funny taglines that we post all the time.
0: Kia, talk about your experience with Kickstarter. I know it's not neatly mm-hmm. social media, but there is an element in that um, you effectively created a class of kind of brand shareholders. In effect, like they feel like they have a stake in uh, the project that you were trying to fundraise. Was it a was it a food cart?
1: It was a food cart slash oven slash equipment and tables and so on and so forth. Um, and Wait, these
0: were essential things you needed for the startup. Correct
1: for yeah, correct, because we didn't have any of that. I had one. Two by four table, and th- that's it. We were renting a kitchen to bake out of, and that was it. So we kickstarted that program. When was this? Uh, in uh, May of two thousand and twelve.
0: Okay, you kickstarted.
1: Thirteen, sorry. Yes. hmm And uh, we raised twenty thousand dollars. In how long? In a month. Um, and uh, b- again, because we we ha- we have been doing cake pops for the past five years now, almost. So we, we built a lot of connections with our customers. when we have returning customers, which to me is the best thing on the planet. Um, because of that, we were able to successfully fund this.
0: Now, Kira, I met Kia because she was resourceful <laughs> enough to go to a mixer with a major uh, PR uh, guru in this town, John Newman, who kind of mentioned it parenthetically to me when we were working on official business over lunch, that this is a great story. I mean, you know, he made it sound like the screenplay that it should be, like call center love, (laughs) and she's here. I could imagine the fight they were having, but, babe, I lost my job. She's like, don't worry. I will learn how to make cake pops, even though it was nothing like that. Um, He effectively, you know, he he used his time, which was valuable, which companies retain him for, at mm-hmm. a very high rate uh, to, mention, uh, to mention someone to me who could be helpful as a kind of a profile person, whether for Business Week or the radio show. And that to me illustrated that uh, you know, Kia, who was you know, really uh, dollar to dollar, was husbanding money for um, the food truck, for the oven, uh, to expand her business, who really couldn't afford a full-time PR person, was resourceful to the
1: max. Right. Yeah. And by the way, John Newman is the bee's knees. Just want
0: to... He's the bee's knees.
1: Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> I am also a John Newman fan, yeah,
2: so... Yeah, yeah. Newman! Newman! Newman
0: that can club. Again. Fan club. <laughs> so, no, that... And and, and to task. you know, Kira, in, in that case, that was a person... Uh, you know, you can you can leverage social media and you can le- leverage the networking effects and the network effects. I say to make something out of nothing, and it was something you and I were talking about offline.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, in 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 hearing Kia's story, I think about a couple of key things that I think may have added to success, which is one, she's a very nice, personable person. So. Oh, she's
0: highly huggable. Look <laughs> at her. Yes, I thought that she's got like a Sesame Street look. I see her singing with the characters on Sesame Street, and you can make Sesame Street cake pops if they'll. Ever grant you the license, but go ahead.
2: But so she's got this networking ability where, I mean, whether you're shy or not, if you're a nice person, um, you can network s- through social media without having to actually approach people, which I think is kind of a great level. Or I used to be incredibly shy. Um, nobody really believes that anymore. But she also has this incredibly photogenic p- product that people love. And then she has a great copywriter and a stand up comedian for a husband. So she kind of has this trifecta of content that is what people want to engage with on social media um, and I think that that is just a great way to leverage referral business and to kind of get her the word out about what she's making
0: now Kia mm-hmm. uh, what are what are, I mean illustrate for us how in, in serendipitous terms you've gotten certain accounts is it all word of mouth do people see you on Facebook do people share these incredibly intricate you know I've seen the birds nest you've done cardinals you've done uh, unbelievable! You know, football helmets—things that I could not believe you could produce in mass—that are are things that you absolutely want to hit the share button and like button on Facebook.
1: Right? Yes, I am so proud to say that ninety-five percent of our business is word of mouth. I have yet to spend a dollar on advertising, which is to me that's an accomplishment um, because we we have a product that has, uh, you know, it looks pretty. Um, It gets shared a lot. It gets talked about a lot. Um, Not to mention when we started doing the cake pops, this was before they were a trend. So we were ahead of the curve um, on that. and I've had a lot of tools at my disposal, uh, my husband being one. My brother does all our web Your designing. Your husband's a tool? Uh, oh, stop it. <laughs> my, my, my brother does all the web designing. And Your the brother in India? Cards. My brother lives in Hong Kong, actually. Oh, in Hong Kong. Whose, whose wife is from Arusha, by the way. So, And that's an amazing story. Kira, you're mad props to you. Uh, and my my dad is a scientist, so he helped me formulate the formulas that we use to make the cake out of. Um, I've had it all at my disposal. So, um, in con- in addition to all of that, um, Facebook in the beginning was very, very um, instrumental in putting us on the map.
0: What other tools do you use in addition to Facebook?
1: Uh, we use Instagram. We uh, obviously use Twitter, but we talk to our customers when they come through the doors.
0: So, how does new business typically come in? People say people call you and say, "I saw you in Facebook," or maybe I saw you in a magazine profile.
1: Actually, yes, we do get that, but mostly it's we tasted them at this event, and that's how we found you.
0: Have you done events um, through social networking that have just lost leaders that have intended, you know, just just so you could get the product and word out?
1: I have, yes, and I actually also do a lot of charity work because um, I've got a lot of opportunities from people, so I try to give it back. But, um, yes, I've done a lot of networking events where I've given away pops as a— as a here, you know here's my product. Take take a look.
0: And they end up handing them out. I remember when yes. uh, what was it? Was it collegiate school when the uh-huh. Seahawks won the Super Bowl? Yes, yes. You suddenly got a huge
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> order for Seahawks. <laughs> fake we watch? did with jerseys, yes. Because yeah.
0: Russell Wilson was a collegiate grad here, Correct. locally. Yeah. So Kira, I mean, when we talk about advertising and publicity, real writ large, do you think this this threatens those worlds to the extent that people, uh, small business owners, can avail themselves of these tools? I mean, certainly we've seen it in my industry previously, print publishing, where um, advertising is just you know the the dollars of print advertising are going online into digital.
2: I don't I don't see it necessarily as a threat. I see it as um, much more of an asset. Um, I I just worked on it. I'll do a real life example from this weekend. I just worked on a house tour that was a fundraiser for um, a group I volunteer with. And we ran, you know, we did your typical PR. We were on all of the calendars. We had really solid social media tools. But as soon as we turned on Facebook advertising, the sales went through the roof. So I think that they work together um, and that they, while they might threaten each other in kind of where the dollars are allocated, um, they still you will still need to advertise in order to kind of get that extra push, especially if you don't have kind of I mean, Kaya, Kaya has this like amazing, you know, offering here where she has all of the pieces working together really well and not everyone's that lucky.
0: Right. Well, Kia, well, how would you I mean, how are you going to scale something like this? Uh, is it is it, you know, are you, are you getting orders from people nationally that say, I saw you on Twitter or my friend out in Virginia or Washington, DC or somewhere on the East Coast do, this, do you end up shipping these things uh, to people across the country? What's the most far-out, craziest order you've,
1: you've done? <laughs> we do. We ship them all over the country. Um, we ship them once to Canada. I think that was pretty far. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we've shipped them to L.A., the hamptons we did an overnight delivery to the hamptons which is pretty movie like i'm like who are you who's ordering these Uh, it was pretty fancy they paid over a hundred dollars for shipping and I'm like all right let's do it so yeah we've shipped them all over the all over the world all over the country sorry i've carried them with me to other parts of the world but never shipped
0: so these people call you or they instant message you over facebook
1: they email us or they call us
0: Full disclosure, Robin Farzad here. We're talking to Kia Wingfield, the cake pop queen of Richmond. She's the founder and owner of Candy Valley Cake Company, which was interestingly, was named after Ken Divoli, your hometown in India, correct?
1: In Bombay, yes, it's in a town. In Bombay, mm-hmm. a small world. Yes.
0: And Kira Siddell, social media strategist uh, in the constantly evolving social media world, where we were talking about Friendster 10 years ago. We were talking about MySpace six, seven years ago. Facebook is the cat's meow. Who knows where we're going to be in In two, three years, or if we're going to be looking back in the future and saying, What the heck were we thinking sending out these 140 character broadcasts? So let's talk more about it. Stay with us. Full disclosure social media, what is it good for? Well, apparently a lot if you listen to our two guests in studio, Kia Wingfield. Owner of Candy Valley Cake Company and Kira Sedel, social media strategist, both of whom have had their lives changed uh, by the power of these otherwise free tools. Uh, Kia, uh, we were talking uh, previously um, before the show about your immigrant experience here and how unlikely it is. And you know, I've seen a lot written, uh, you know, in the kind of whimsical Tom Friedman way about how when we had the internet crash here in the in the year two thousand two thousand one. Um, And all these fiber optic cables that companies spent trillions of dollars laying underseas, suddenly these companies went bankrupt. One of the nice things about it was that that it led rise to the the call center uh, explosion, that these jobs – you know, you could suddenly hire people in India, in the Philippines. That obviously changed your life over there. It put the onus on learning English. You you speak English in a, with very little accent. You couldn't tell, or, you know, maybe that's a function of you being here in, in Richmond for nine years. Uh, but on on, the, on you also talk about the difficulty of coming to a town like this, which is so steeped in old money traditions, railroads, tobaccos, country clubs. As an immigrant uh, dealing with um, – society and gaining that trust while you were leveraging social media. I know I just threw 50 things out there, but you 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 really had to come in here and um, do things with uh, big charities and big companies to kind of get that trust. It wasn't like you were automatically inducted into the country club and, and you had
1: something else to lean on. Right. Uh, it, trust, that's the key word. You know, they have to trust that if they place an order for, let's say, 500 cake pops, they have to trust that you can deliver not only on time, but with quality and, you know, the whole nine yards. So that was, I knew that if I built a good product, I knew that I would get the clientele. So I focused very hard on, I learned what the local scene was about. I saw what ingredients were available locally. Uh, And luckily, Richmond is very, very um, gifted with that stuff. So I was able to source a lot of good stuff and make a solid product that spoke for itself. And you that, that you was really
0: did this from scratch. I mean, I did. you were at home, uh, you had the television, you decided to what? get a cookbook and experiment with cake pops. How did it work?
1: Yeah, that's the funny story. I did not have any kind of a, uh, I didn't have a grandmother whose recipe I could borrow or use or family members. So I literally started from scratch. Um, I just experimented in the kitchen. I made over 40 batches of chocolate cake. Uh, to see what worked and formulated my own thing with, you know, like I said, my dad helped and uh, my parents have been super instrumental in all of this.
0: Were you Skyping with them? Was that?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we would Skype a lot. Yeah.
0: So, uh, and then you got an apprenticeship at a bakery here in Kerrytown?
1: Yes, i worked in several bakeries in Richmond. Um, It just so happened. I worked in a cupcake shop. I worked in a couple of bakeries. Uh, and then I went to, the sc- went to J. Sarge myself. I did J. Sarge
0: Reynolds College?
1: Yes, I did. I did the pastry program that I'm teaching currently.
0: And you're actually here in your your, yeah. your J. Sarge Reynolds Pastry Chef Professor. Yeah. Yeah, we should give you a <laughs> pipe and a, you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's very
0: professorial. It is. So what was the tipping point uh, where this ceased to be just a curiosity and you experimenting in the skunkworks of your kitchen into something that would scale?
1: I think four years ago after um, we we were selling them at a farmer's market. And I had an incredible experience with a customer who stopped by and she had like this orgasmic experience after she tried the, tried the cake. And we're like, oh, my God, maybe we do have something here. You know, it was just all fun and games up until then. But after that, it kind of just took its own, took its own life. I mean, took you know, took life on its own and just... So what was
0: the first big order after that farmer's market? I'm talking a store or a charity or a company. VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University?
1: Yes, sir. I did. A, uh, just It was actually 300 pops, but at that time it took me over, over a week to make them. Uh, and it was for the School of Business, and that was the first big order we ever had.
0: Did somebody meet you at the farmer's market? Did they see you on yes. Facebook?
1: Uh, and uh, a, an acquaintance of mine knew the person at VCU who came and met with me at Starbucks and said, we're looking for something to give out to our students uh, during business week, um, like, you know, college week. So that's when they bought them.
0: So walk me through that. So the, there's a multiplier effect in this. Let's take 300 cake pops. Mm-hmm. Were you hoping that people would take pictures of these and post them to their own Twitter and Instagram? I mean, four years ago. Now, I mean, the trick of social media is, you know, Kira, is, 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 is people kind of doing your marketing for you you know, willingly being out there and, and being a, uh, uh, an echo chamber on your behalf.
2: I mean, absolutely. It's about giving them the tools so you know the behavior that they're going to do. Everyone, now we all have a camera with us all of the time that's linked to the internet. So it's about giving them the tools so that they take the picture that really kind of carries your brand into their social circle.
0: So you must see that a lot, especially, you know, Kia, for the people who mm-hmm. are kind enough to tag you and uh, put your company's Twitter handle Correct. You know, Candy Valley RVA, when they see your elaborate cake pops at an event, um, when did you start to see that take hold more?
1: So I can I can tell you this. There is it it wasn't as magical as you make it sound because I did have help of a PR person. Uh, She was a big fan of what I was doing. So she gave me some tips on what I should do. Her name was Jennifer Pounders and she's friends with John Newman. Wonderful, wonderful lady. Uh, Great. P or Maven. Uh, so she helped me out initially and helped get the word out. And that's when things started to, you know, take form.
0: At what point? I mean, in, in, mm-hmm. in, it was the farmer's market from a staging perspective. Right. Great. Because people could take photos there and post them up there. Like, look what I saw.
1: Yeah. That, I don't think much of that happened because back then I wasn't as actively involved in uh, social media except for Facebook. Uh, but once we started to create more designs we took more pictures, and those pictures got shared a lot, and that's how that happened.
0: So um, what was the next big order after that? So the VCU order was mm-hmm. successful. You got 300 out.
1: It was, and after that, we did the Watermelon Festival in Richmond. We, we made, and this is a funny story, but we made another 300 pops for that festival, and I sold maybe 25. Isn't that crazy?
0: You sold twenty five. Wait, you did that's the it. festival as yeah. a food cart or as yeah, a yeah yeah we were we
1: were we were a vendor uh, again. This was four years ago. Uh, nobody knew what the product was, and they were not willing to try it, even though it looked really cute. People said this is amazing, but anyway, that's where I met a person who was a purchaser for Altria, and we got lots of orders from Altria after that. And it's just funny how it all connected. So
0: then it started to ripple? Yes. I mean, when you place 300 Pops, you mm-hmm. figure and, – and, and obviously you have a little – you have a, like a little Hershey's Kiss wrapper around them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they get individually wrapped up, yes.
0: And so people can see yes. – is there typically a Twitter handle on them now or a Facebook, visit us on Facebook? Yes. So then were you suddenly – I mean, and, and this was kind of uh, – I, I remember you did the campaign, Was it in, in, was it in 2013 that you did the Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. to kind of grow?
1: Yes, we did because I did not have any kind of seed money to buy equipment, and whatever money we were making was going right back into ingredients and running the business. So I was looking to get some kind of a money, some kind of an injection to be able to buy. Why
0: the, the question here, and and you can share in on this, uh, Kira? Why would people seed Candy Valley Cake Company if there's no equity in it? If there's no what what it's just for the sake of saying, one, it's it's like ten dollars per person. Two, is this is fun. Three, I can share it on social media. I mean, what's in it for people if, you know, I'm talking as a cold-eyed investor. If you're a company that wants to raise money on Wall Street, a venture capitalist wants a cut. Uh, You have debt terms, you have bank covenants. But there seems to be this willingness in the Kickstarter community uh, to just hand people money. I, I think LeVar Burton did it earlier this year, you know, bring back Reading Rainbow.
1: Kickstarter, in my humble opinion, is not about investment. It's about support. I think that's why people give away money, because they believe in in that story, and they believe in that person and that product, and they want to be a part of it.
0: Who did you meet on Kickstarter? What kinds of people? Were they mostly local?
1: They were mostly local, uh, and they were mostly my customers already. There were very few that I did not recognize.
0: Kira, what do you think? What's been your experience with Kickstarter? And companies want to come in, especially at the very grassroots level, and get the coverage. You know, what was that a guy earlier this year is like, I want to make the perfect potato salad did you see that yeah it was great he raised what was a hundred grand on kickstarter it's the most whimsical uh thing we had a great example of a couple of guys here locally who are huge foo fighter fans and they used something like a kickstarter to get a concert on demand and the band looked at it at this point they're like wow you have this many people who are willing to buy tickets on spec for a concert that doesn't exist you know what screw it i'll show up and now you're seeing copycat crimes across the country what what are some of the lessons in that
2: i mean I- I was lucky enough to get to go to the Foo Fighters concert, um, and it was interesting to see all these people. You had there was nothing in that one example. There was nothing you were going to lose if if the concert didn't happen. You're going to get your money back, and those who were not believers didn't get their hands on tickets. Um, that was just that. I think that was a really interesting uh, example of it. But Kickstarter, I mean, at least in my experience of it, I've I've been a contributor to a few um, products that I actually wanted development, so people can't. Get, have research um, and development funds, but they can kickstart this concept. And uh, if you are a contributor, you get an early version of it. So I'm the proud owner of a Innova in, in sous SUV maker, which I was very excited to get my hands on. But I mean, Kickstarter is a very interesting thing. People want to be a part of something. Um, you can look at the example that's happening with fan video right now. Um, they are raising money in order to create a museum of video, which is, we've all, you know, Blockbuster went away, everything went away, but we have one of the largest collections of video in the country in Richmond. And they've lost their lease, so they've gone through Kickstarter, and they're raising tens of thousands of dollars to preserve this institution that is, there's really no equity in it other than it makes you feel good to be part of something. The nostalgia, the nostalgia
0: and being part of it.
2: Kickstarter is a very interesting um, way to get things funded. I'm always... Shocked at how effective it is. So we put all
0: of these things into the 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 enormous cauldron, um, you know, Kickstarter, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you put it in a town like Richmond right now, which is having an enormous foodie uh, revival and resurgence. I mean, just in the past four or five years alone, the caliber of restaurants that have shown up here um, we we had a magazine declared America's next great foodie. You know, town, and the interesting thing is, uh, and I, I Netflix the movie Chef over the weekend, the John Favreau movie, where you know he he's a he's a chef that actually goes away from the brick and mortar experience and goes cross country on a food truck, and his kid teaches him all about Twitter and social media, and this is something that's so linked. You know, the hashtag we have here, for example, RVA dine. It used to just be a curiosity a year ago, where we'd find interesting stories about. Uh, restaurants and uh, new approaches to cuisine. And now it's being used for promotion or to give people a heads up that we have a free table tonight.
2: Um, Yes. I mean, if I do not give Carrie Pfeiffer credit for coining RVA Dine, I think she will um, have my head. But I mean, a few years ago, it's where you saw all of the dining news happening, where you saw very fancy dishes that were special that evening. And Very recently, it's been about daily specials. So if you look at it, it's become a hybrid kind of news advertising feed. But I I really commend all of the people involved in the food scene here because they have really turned fabulous photography around their food and clear writing about what they're making into getting the word out about the restaurants. Um, I mean, once you get into the world of food, you have this the big ugly of Yelp to deal with but if you if you take that off of the out of the conversation, these restaurants are are doing an amazing job with Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um Foursquare used to also be an incredibly big mo- kind of way to get people to find your business, but that with when they changed the platform, that fell off a little bit. But they've just done an incredible job of engaging with their customers
0: and talk about the scarcity factor of it. I mean, food trucks, you know, you go to l a, we're just the famous one, Kogi. Uh, the Korean barbecue food truck, uh, you know, lines, lines around the block, literally. And the fact that you don't know necessarily where it's going to be and that people rush to do it. It's like a tag sale in Manhattan. Uh, you, this kind of this feigned um, uh, scarcity factor and serendipity factor. Um, you, you you see a lot of brick and mortar stores trying to create that. I mean, we certainly saw it with Black Friday or kind of, you know. Come in now to get 10% off gift cards. I saw it left and right. And a lot of people worry that the grassroots nature of, of Twitter and social media is kind of being hijacked by that.
2: I mean, I, I guess I can, I can see that people are kind of polluting the space. Um, but people that are still being authentic and engaging and creating great content, that content will continue to rise to the top. Um, I mean, I, th- I will always say that email is the original and best social media marketing ever. But it's really hard to say that to people with a straight face after Cyber Monday because everyone's inbox was just crushed by so much hooey that it, it's hard to remember that email is one of the biggest motivators of traffic.
0: Wait, you're not seeing email fatigue unsubscribe?
2: Um I think I think after last week, yes, you'll see that. But um it still I mean, I find myself signing up for things. I find a lot of the databases that I look at are growing. People want to be in contact and know what's happening. Um, they don't want to happen to see it on Twitter. I mean, Twitter is so crowded right now. Um, I find myself missing information all the time, and I am a very active user. So email, I know that I'm going to get it because they're going to be in my inbox in order.
0: Kerisdell, I, I want to know these promoted tweets on Twitter, which you know, I, I typically can't follow. I mean, they're they're highlighted. They're they're yellow. It's to suggest that there's a corporate player in the room. That um, it's 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 being sent to the top of the queue. What it's it's so difficult to kind of uh, you know to to seem like you're uh, organic and um, not that premeditated when you have something like a sponsored tweet and a promoted tweet and after all Twitter is a multi-billion-dollar company it's public it has to justify its valuation and make money but uh, increasingly you 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 always you always wonder if companies are going to have to go out there and hire renegade. Tweeters, <laughs> as opposed to the high-priced PR firm that's out there putting out the sponsored tweet,
2: and and uh, the sponsored tweet has it. Okay, so everything has a, its place. The sponsored tweet, where I found myself clicking on it the most often, and since I play in the space, I click on everything. Um, but to download apps, I mean, I have he- I have found and discovered so many useful apps because of a well-placed promoted tweet. Um, so it has a value, just. There's a platform for everything, and when you find your right place and voice and kind of traffic flow of what you want to get, achieve, you can kind of find the right mix. Um, everyone does not need to be everywhere. Doesn't
0: Amazon now have a Buy It Now single-button uh, application on Twitter?
2: I think that's correct.
0: Where if you see something it's similar with the app, you could just download straight out of Twitter. Where apps that I've never heard of.
2: Yes. <laughs> There's some great photography apps, and um, I found myself playing games that I never would have played had I not seen a promoted tweet.
0: Kia Wingfield, what's the next frontier for you? I know that you're still, uh, uh, you know, in your infancy on Twitter. You update it when you have to. if There are big events or pictures that you want to get up, but it's really Facebook that you lean on. Do you see them as kind of competing for the same attention?
1: I do. Um, however, Twitter is more, you know, Like a dialogue. It's like now, you know, this is what we're doing right this second. Facebook might be about something that we have done, will be doing. It's a little bit slower in approach. Uh, But the next step is to hire Kira Sadell. That's that's I what I going to
0: do <laughs> The next step is to hire her without retaining her. <laughs> without retaining Which is like, you know, that's the it's it's the wonderful Kia Wingfield Jetta Mind trick. If she could right. convince you to market on her behalf. And really that's what's that's what's at the essence of of Twitter and Facebook. You you Correct. you know, you have people out there that are marketing on your behalf. There are people that'll chip in for you on Kickstarter and mm-hmm. brag about the fact that they did and end up sending that to several friends and voila, next thing you know you right. have twenty thousand bucks. There
1: I will I will let you know a little secret. Um, we just recently built a new website and we intentionally did not put up a full gallery of pictures on the website. I only have a handful pictures because we tell our customers to go to Facebook to look at more pictures. And that has been very successful because we have over 700 pictures on Facebook, but only 10 on the website. And when they see those 10, they want to see more and they end up up to our Facebook page.
0: Full disclosure. This is Robin Farzad. Social media. What the heck is it good for? Apparently
1: uh, a lot if
0: you're a small business owner and now starting from scratch. Stay with us. Full disclosure, this is Robin Farzad. Bow down wherever you are because I am in the presence of two queens of their trade. The cake pop queen of Richmond, Kia Wingfield, Candy Valley Cake Company, and Kira Siddell, social media guru, who works with many companies and charities here and, in fact, has been. Weren't you profiled in Glamour magazine for your uh, unbelievable effort to bring $10,000 to a Tanzanian school?
2: I was. Um, Glamour has a um, most inspirational woman in the country um, piece, and I, I'm, still, I, I'm still gobsmacked by it. It's hard to talk about it. It was amazingly flattering.
0: Well, that that kind of brings to mind this idea of piggybacking, which you can do on social media uh, when you use the right hashtags and you include other people's handles, especially the big ones with tens of thousands of followers. Uh, you know, they end up doing a lot of a lot of uh, work for you. The more the merrier. You start to get two or three more constituencies as opposed to it just being a direct shot to your email clients. So, give us an example. You are uh, you've been gluten free for more than a decade. Yeah, twelve years. Now, if if uh, Kia Wingfield were to walk in here with her famous gluten free cake pops, which you are going to go and try later this week, I understand, that's something that then you feel invested in, and and is there a gluten free hashtag?
2: And um, are actually, there. I mean, gluten free is a hashtag, but um, mostly what you find in, in niche communities like that is that there's people that are incredibly vocal about the thing that they care about. So I, I tweet about gluten free food in Richmond. Um, that is not the only thing I care about, but personally, that's what I care about. So Kian and I were talking about that, and I said, "You know, this is a key example of giving someone that is very invested and influential in something that you're trying to kind of make a dent in. So if if I were to be lucky enough to have some gluten-free cake pops, I would probably be tweeting on Instagram about it. And did that's... you just
0: ask for a bribe?
2: I did. I did.
0: Shame so unethical.
1: Shame so
2: good. I know, but it's a cake pop.
0: So take me into a world, real world example of that. So um you have you know you want a you want a charity or a company or someone else to include other big players in it so they're getting double the bang for the retweeting buck.
2: I mean and the example I'm going I'm to keep going back to is Tweets Giving because it's a campaign we did for 4 years and it had yeah, an tell us about it. enormous amount of learning. Um but one of the things that was interesting is one of the I believe the second year Um, We spent a lot of time and effort kind of cultivating these major influencers. So we had Ashton Kutcher tweeting a link to a video. Um, Alyssa Milano did a blog post on it. And it was very interesting to see kind of what traffic that drove. Um, And what we found were simple things like a simple retweet from a celebrity is not enough to get traction. You need someone who's invested and who their kind of followers might align more with your brand. So the person that we got the most traction from was Deepak Chopra. Um he said he loved tweeting about gratitude and it you just kind of watched it blow up. Um and that was just a a, a chance of we caught him on Twitter at the right time, or else we caught his brand manager on Twitter at the right time, and it was something that aligned with their brand. So
0: it's almost like fishing or putting out a net or trawling net. I mean, you didn't you didn't sit uh, beforehand with this campaign. It's like, well, Deepak Chopra has to be on our short list,
2: right? I mean, it, it was that was a um, serendipitous moment, but it is one of those things that I do spend a lot of time um, researching influencers in a target audience that I'm trying to get a client aligned with. And um, it's providing the right kind of content. I got to tell you, and, and
0: Conan, Bryant, Conan O'Brien did a send up of this. The LinkedIn influencers community—it drives me nuts, right? Think about it. There's a send up of it on on the web. People call them think There's a certain air of uh, kind of well, these are the people I follow, and I'm a thought leader, right?
2: Yes. LinkedIn has some, I think, issues specifically around that. And everyone
0: that. is publishing now. Everyone is an influencer.
2: I, they are. I am not a LinkedIn fan. I know it is fabulous for networking, but it is not – it's not authentic. It is not – it's permanently being on a job interview. So how do
0: you identify uh, Twitter influencers? Is that a clout, K-L-O-U-T number?
2: I mean a clout is a great tool. There's a number of tools that um, that are available to people. But, I mean, we can always go back to the Richmond Microscopic um, – and look at this environment and specifically about food. So if you want someone to talk about a fabulous food item, you're going to reach out to the people that tweet the most about food in town and not necessarily people that just kind of broadcast about it, but people that have engagement. Um, Your follower count doesn't necessarily matter how much influence you have.
0: So you're actually opening up a dashboard to see what, what, what the granularity of the influence is?
2: I've done, I, I do. <laughs> I have all sorts of fun tools. and uh, Gosh,
0: that feels so scary.
2: It is, it is. It's very, um, you know, even if you look at just, I'm sure Kia can speak to this, when you look at the back end of Facebook, um, you can now target down to household income, net worth, um, whether they're moving or not, when they're going on vacation. They've really gotten data to shockingly accurate um, numbers
0: and we are just out there, you know, volunteering this data. A lot of people don't think twice about it.
2: No, but you can look at it two ways: one, Big Brother, that's terrifying. Two, you're getting really tailored information. So it just depends on your mentality of whether it's good or bad.
0: So, uh, Kia, tell us what the next frontier is for you um, in this in this evolution. Kind of learning from scratch. You're you're nearing your 10 year anniversary in this city. And uh, this company is getting uh, ridiculous headlines. You're going to get a record number of retweets and Instagram posts over over the holiday season as people see these at their Christmas parties. Uh, wh- where do you see your social media and overall media campaign heading into 2015?
1: Um, I see that we need to stay more on top of it. You know, I need to spend more time um, updating my clients as to what we're doing. Um, because sometimes when you're busy baking and creating things, that can sometimes be put on the back burner. So my focus is going to be to talk more, you know, connect more with, with everybody out there. To actually
0: be there in the trenches and do the tweeting yep. and, and following yourself? Correct. Uh, do you follow engagement? Do you follow up with people or do they pose questions to you on Facebook?
1: Yes, all the time. And we answer each and every one of them without fail. Uh,
0: to that end, uh, Kira how do you, you know, when companies come to you, how do you p- convince them that there's a return on investment? what metric is there? There's a lot of pump priming. You have to do a lot of preparation. You have to build a, a critical mass of followers. You have to do follow Friday. You have to favorite people. It doesn't exactly pay off uh, you know, the way putting an ad in the Sunday paper used to.
2: It does and it doesn't. So I like to always go back to very clear um, case studies where I can show this is you know, the time and effort that was put in. Here is the return on investment. And my example that um for the local area is the State Fair of Virginia used to have a season pass. Um, The year that we convinced them to let us sell it through Facebook, they sold 10,000, which we sold out of them. We didn't, um, it wasn't that they ran, that people stopped buying it. We only had 10,000 to sell. The most they had ever sold before that was I believe 1,800. So we kind of showed the value of building this community and showed that in um, ticket sales. But it'll always be things like that. You're going to have to have um, a very clear metric of what you're trying to get accomplished.
0: But what comes first in that case, you know, chicken or egg thing, even in Facebook, you can hang a shingle there. But if you don't have a critical mass of followers, uh, again, you have to spend a lot of time just preparing something, which I find in talking to companies, if there isn't more of an immediate payback, if they just see it as a sunk cost over six months to a year that they're reluctant to do it.
2: And I think that's very true. I have a project that I'm a about to start on where they've built a very very large community that they don't know how to use Um, so they see it as kind of uh, they spend a lot of effort to build all of these followers and they don't know how to kind of turn that into real dollars so that's a strategic place that we're starting from where we're trying to figure out what they want to accomplish what they want these people to do and giving them the right tools to make that happen.
0: Kira, what is the risk, you know, in looking back on this, uh, that that these things are decidedly not permanent? I mean, after all, uh, you know, Yahoo and Hotmail were kings of the roost in 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 the year 2000 again we were on friendster and myspace at various points Uh, suddenly facebook had a huge tipping point in the financial crisis uh twitter uh you know a lot of people look back at 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 the egyptian street and the protests in tahrir square and in iran and those were very much twitter stoked uh moments um but these things might at some point pass their own primes like where where do you see the next frontier of engagement
2: well um i'm I think no matter what the platform becomes, because it's going to keep changing, um, all tools are about building brand equity. So this is where I put on my like old school hat. I'm from an, a traditional agency background. Um, this is all about bringing your brand to life. This is the execution of your brand personality, your voice, and engaging with customers. And that is the most valuable piece of the puzzle. Just the brand. It's about the brand. The brand I mean, the brand is what... What gets people to care about your product? So if Facebook goes away, you still you're still connected to Kia.
0: Now Kia does you know you you have leveraged um, social media and free online marketing to get yourself uh, really valuable traditional marketing. Um, in the form of uh, TV spots, mm-hmm. I believe I've seen you uh, uh, on, on one of the morning shows. I don't know if it was Virginia this morning. It was, yes. And um, you've been profiled in the magazines and the big newspapers here. Those are those are placements that you really, uh, you know, you could. They're they're almost priceless. Correct. You're getting, you, you know, it's they're not touting. They're apparently profiling you, but in the end, you get an enormous uptick in sales.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, we do.
0: So how do you how do you tweak that? Have you and your husband identified influencers in the community, like local food people, or do you send things out on spec to people?
1: Um, we used to a few years back. Um, Are or, you
0: just so busy right now that I, 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 I sense that you're coming up <laughs> to the point where? You know, really, that, that you know, uh, it's it's a great dilemma to have. It that, is. That you almost have to hire an intern or hire a marketing person. Right. There is a crossover point where you can no longer just do it yourself. It cuts into your uh, right. time uh, with, with the money making.
1: And that's exactly the point where I'm at in the business is we are so tied up with the orders we have now. It is impossible to take your head up and look at what else can be done. So 2015 is going to be about that kind of integration and be able to still grow the business at the same time, keep the connection in with the community.
0: How many hours a day do you work?
1: I work a lot. Let's just put it that way.
0: I just You're up like at 4.30 or 5, mm-hmm. getting the batch up?
1: I'm up pretty early. Uh, I work seven days a week. Uh, but see, it's not work, though. That's my baby. And I am so happy to do it.
0: So oftentimes you're up, you get the first batch started. You have mm. you have this, uh, <laughs> this small kitchen in a residential neighborhood which I love. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's designed with flowers and cake pops on the outside. Yep. Um, you know, it's it, it doesn't quite yet feel like the enterprise that it is. I think people right. on the outside would think you have an enormous uh, bakery somewhere in an industrial zone and, yeah. you know, big <laughs> 18-wheeler trucks taking you in and out. That's the interesting paradox of social media is that you right. can seem a lot larger than you actually are.
1: That's true. And it's funny you said that because my husband is always teasing me. He's like, you're you're trying to run things like it's U.S. steel. You know, you're, it's just a bakery. Um, and But I take it seriously. And I feel like, you know, that, that, the day you know, dress for the job you want kind of a thing. So we're working for the kind of business we want or in that sense.
0: So at some point when your time, when your man hours become so valuable, you're maxed out seven mm-hmm. days a week, mm-hmm. um, at least 12 to 13 hour days, you have to actually sit down and have a hard conversation with your husband and co-owner Dave. What is a social media person worth to us?
1: Exactly. Is it a
0: part-time thing? What? How, do you, how are you going to calculate the ROI?
1: But see, out of nature, the the facts speak for themselves. And as Kira was explaining, uh, it does have a lot of merit because they're essentially hiring somebody to do your social media is essentially getting another voice on board that's going to help you talk about your brand. Um, And when you're making some... When you're in the personal... Food is a personal experience. And when you're in a business like that, it is important to talk clearly and loudly and as much as possible.
0: What's amazing is that you've you've done this kind of... uh... You've winged it, wing, winged it, Pretty Wingfield, much, yep. <laughs> for six, seven years, and gotten other people to do this stuff for yep. you uh, mm-hmm. through resourcefulness and and uh, scrappiness, and it's coming to the point where you have to actually pay somebody,
1: right? And see, you make me sound really. Clever and crafty. I'm really not. I just made cake and it spoke for itself.
0: Oh, you're so self effacing. Actually, what both <laughs> of you have done reminds me of the Air Supply song,
1: Making Love
0: Out of Nothing <laughs> at All. You both made, you produced love out of nothing at all. In the case of $10,000 for Tanzanian school, with a, it, 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 with a campaign that has kind of taken a life of its own and then had the multir- multiplier effect of being. Ah, uh, profiled in a national magazine, and I know you roll your eyes, Kira, but that's actually that's a great calling card. It shows that um, you know you could have premeditated this as much as you want, but social media took a life of its own. And similarly, Kia,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: you know, you and I met because of your resourcefulness with networking and social media. And right. uh, where, where, if you had to look ahead, both of you, in closing. Where do you see this stuff as kind of the next step, the next frontier? Kia Wingfield, you might well be a multinational in 10 years when we come and visit you. You might be, you know, barnstorming into Mexico and China (laughs) with your cake pops. You'll end up being bought by Unilever. But between now and then, uh, what other tools do you want to use online?
1: I would like to ramp up our Twitter use. Uh, Pinterest is something that we have an account but needs to be worked on. I w- wherever I can engage with my customers is where I want to be. So Pinterest, that Pinterest
0: that's actually for craft. Correct. For people who make, you know, some, some do stickers for the uh, uh, MacBook logo. They'll make custom right. stickers or bumper stickers. Um, is that something that you've had any engagement or luck or sales in so far?
1: Yeah, we have. Uh, Pinterest is a visual thing. So it's all about pictures and just drawing people in through colors and composition and light. So that's what that's about. And yes, we've had a lot of luck with good photography and good, you know, you've got to make it look good. That's the idea.
0: Kira, your next title is Futurist. I know you love it. In addition to Thought Leader and Grand Pooba and uh, Social Media Visionary and Spiritual Leader, you're a futurist. Take me five years into the future of social media and marketing, and ten years, and fifteen years.
2: Oh wow, that's a loaded question. Um,
0: that's why you get paid the big bucks.
2: I know. Uh, I think. I mean, we're going to continue to see people now. Everyone has a mobile phone, um, and that's going to continue to be where we all connect. And um, you know, three years ago, we were all talking about geolocation, and it's interesting to see that that kind of vision for where we're all headed did not exactly pan out the way we planned. Um, But what I think you're going to see is people are continuing to create smaller communities where they can engage and um, all the key buzzwords that my people use. Um, But it'll be about people wanting to engage with brands and um, really connect with things that they want that make their life easier.
0: And it's really an absolutely on-demand world, whether you're talking about media. You know, you don't have to take what the networks want to dish out on an evening – You can go to YouTube. You can consume things over Facebook. The news feed on Facebook right now is in many ways more valuable than what Google News is posting up.
2: I mean, Um, I don't have a TV right now. And you know, that's something I've I heard. I have a Roku. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean,
0: lectured. I lectured at the the journalism school here at VCU, and uh, the school of 30 students. You know, we opened up like, what do you guys watch on TV? And literally, two of them said they owned a TV, and one of them inherited it with her apartment. <laughs> so it just tells you where a lot of the stuff is headed. And I think you know, it poses both opportunity and peril because if the old advertising model is really going away, or you can't. You know, what's going to happen when these enormous companies that have exclusively relied on TV and print realize. Is that, that those the those media are, are really just dissipating and they're going to have to go at the, at the tiny Twitter level. That's where they hire people like you, Kira.
2: I mean, yeah, look at Budweiser. Budweiser got rid of the Clydesdales. No one ever thought, I mean, that just doesn't make sense. The Clydesdales are what we all look forward to at the Super Bowl, but it does not make sense in a marketing dollars to have that anymore. Um, people want personalized to create their own experience of how they are getting all of their media. So- I mean, and when I say media, I mean how they're getting their TV shows and how they're getting um, their movies. That's all becoming a personalized mobile experience.
0: Kia Wingfield, in closing, when are we going to see the the, um – the screenplay treatment of call center love—you got <laughs> a thing that's coming. called call center love. Your yes. comedian husband goes and he meets you in India at, at in kandivali and he mm-hmm. he convinces your family, let her move back with me. I'm gonna take good care <laughs> yeah, of her. Yeah, right. Then yeah, he comes here, <laughs> company goes bust. You're like, what are we gonna do? <laughs> L- Notice the accent. Is yeah. Right oh, yeah. No, cue, it's was right? right on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Spot right on. So yeah, that you know somebody's uh, somebody's gonna hear this and approach you. I'm sure. convinced, and we're gonna come back and revisit it when you do get that multi million dollar deal, or you're gonna go straight to YouTube. You know, being Kia Wingfield. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's that's really where the world is headed, and I appreciate you guys for looking into that crystal ball with me.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's been
0: fun. Thank you so much. Today we were talking social media. What the hell is it good for? Well,
1: apparently a lot.
0: Uh, with Kia Wingfield, uh, founder of Candy Valley Cake Company and Kira Siddell a social media goddess uh, thank you so much again
2: thank you
1: thank you Robin.
0: full disclosure we'll be back with you next week